Travel Squad podcast. We're four friends that grew up together in the same small town. We followed each other to San Diego, and now we adventure the world together. One passport stamp at a time. We're here to share our travel stories and inspire you to go on your own adventures. Even if it starts with your own backyard. I'm Jamal. Brittany. Kim. And I'm Dana. And And we're we're the Travel Squad podcast. So grab your ticket, your passport, and don't forget your travel insurance. And prepare for takeoff. Hello, fellow travelers. Hello. Welcome to episode 76 of the Travel Squad podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, Ashley P., We initially connected with Ashley in December when we were a guest on her podcast. Ashley is the host of Ashley P. Travels, a new travel podcast that reveals what it's really like to live a travel life and work on a cruise ship. Ashley spent several years working on a cruise ship, exploring port cities while working and traveling while she was not on the ship. On her podcast, she has featured some very interesting and very funny stories from fellow crew members. And she brings some of these stories to the episode. She shares some of the juiciest behind-the-scenes secrets, like who is hooking up with who. Mm. And she even reveals what the smell in the bathroom is, because what would a Travel Squad podcast episode be if we didn't talk about the bathrooms? If you have ever cruised, (laughs) you know exactly what smell we're talking about. I definitely know exactly what smell we're Mm -hmm. talking about here. And if you haven't cruised, go on a cruise and you will know exactly what we are talking about. And with with that, let's welcome Ashley to the Travel Squad podcast. Hello, Ashley. It's so good to talk to you again. Thank you so much for joining the Travel Squad podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Last time we spoke, you were a guest on mine, and I love that it's coming full circle. Yes, we're so happy to have you on our end and as a guest on the Travel Squad podcast. So again, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. It's been a couple of weeks since we talked and we got to learn a little bit about your very interesting travel history, but we're really, really excited to have you on today because I know you have so much more to tell about your life on a cruise ship and a lot of the travels that you did outside of your cruise life. So I can't wait to get into this interview. Well, there is probably more than enough for an episode, so I'll try to keep it limited. But yeah, hopefully your listeners will find it interesting and entertaining and all the things. And don't hold back. If there's some juicy details (laughs) of things that have happened on the ships, share them in detail, vivid detail, and especially (laughs) in regards to your own personal travel off the ship too, no doubt. But from what I hear from listening to several of your episodes and what I know just of the industry, there's some juicy details of... uh, Uh, cabin life amongst the crew on those ships. So we're waiting for you to spill the beans on that. (laughs) Without a doubt. There are plenty of beans here. Well, I, for one, am super excited to hear all about cruise ship life. You know, I mentioned this on your podcast is that I wish that I knew that I could work on a cruise ship when I was in my early 20s trying to figure stuff out. And so I'm going to live vicariously through you and all these fun stories. (laughs) Okay, deal. We actually have an episode on cruising. It's one of our very first episodes, and we all love cruising. And that's actually one of our most popular episodes even today. So continuing that, though, but the insider scoop on it, I just want to start with first question. How did you start working on a cruise ship? Well, I just want to say I have listened to that episode and it is very accurate. I will say you guys cover a lot. So you did it. You did a great job. 
But one of the things that I talk about on my podcast when it comes to ship life is that there's so much that's unknown. And even if you cruise a lot, even if you maybe have gotten close to crew members on the ship and chatted them up and tried to, you know, get a little information out of them, you still can never really know until you're immersed in it. So there is a totally different world to being a cruise ship crew member. And I equate it a lot to be like being in the military, like it kind of becomes this family, whereas even if I were to meet someone on a totally different cruise line on another side of the world, if you immediately find the connection that you've worked on ships, you have so much in common. So it's it's quite a family. And it's definitely something that it is one of the highlights of my life. So sorry for that. But to answer your question, I got on ships in January 2013. It was right after I had graduated college. To go back a little bit further than that, I graduated high school in 2005, immediately right out of high school, went to College of Charleston, South Carolina, and did not find a major that I resonated with, couldn't figure out what I wanted to do with my life, and kind of got sick of doing the gen ed, like, let my college lead me sort of thing. So I went on a trip with uh, my best friend to LA for her 21st birthday. Instantly fell in love with it in like the week that we were there and decided to move out to LA for a year. Uh, Well, I decided to move out to LA. I didn't know it was just going to be a year, but so much happened in that year and I really grew up and that was when I was 20. And when I came back, finished college, I got a fashion marketing and management degree and I career services just told them, you know, I don't know what I want to do with my life, but I know that I want to travel. So that's my only prerequisite for jobs that I may get. So a couple days later, or it might have been weeks, I don't exactly know, but I got an email from career services with this cool opportunity to go travel the world and work on cruise ships and sell jewelry. (laughs) Now, again, I had a fashion marketing degree, but I had never done anything with the jewelry industry. So I was like, I don't even know if I can get this job. Like I know nothing about jewelry. I mean, my idea of like a nice watch was like a Michael Kors. And like, I'm absolutely not downplaying that because I still think they're super nice. But like my biggest sale working on ships for a watch was like $74,000. So looking back on it now, it's crazy, right? So I filled out this application, submitted it, got a Skype interview, and I got the job. And three weeks later, after getting my passport and a $700 medical exam that you have to have to work on board. Was it 700 that you had to pay for? Yes. So one of the prerequisites to working on ships is that you have to purchase your own medical exam. Now, the one that I got, because I hadn't been in the industry it was more expensive because I didn't know that there were certain places that actually like sort of catered to doing cruise ship medical exams. And you can get them for like $200. But I just went to like my local doctor and had a list of tests that they had to do. And it totaled to like 700 without insurance. Well, that's a learning experience. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So if you ever were to work on ships, fly down to Fort Lauderdale or one of the cruise ship ports. And there are doctors that are in those ports that specifically cater to medical uh, exams for crew. And they even know like which exam you need for which cruise line and stuff like that. It's all crazy. Things I learned way too late. Can we quickly though, back up to that $74,000 watch? (laughs) (laughs) What kind of watch? Because you know what? Michael Kors is the nicest watch that I own. So I feel you on that one. But like, what kind of watches are they like brand wise? And do you get commission for selling that? Damn, you are peddling watches on that cruise. 
Yes. So absolutely. Um, You make commission. And I'll give you an example. The job that I did was to do presentations. And actually, I want to say that you guys mentioned this in one of your episodes or in your cruise ship episode, that um, when you're going through the cruise program of like what to do the next day, every single Caribbean cruise on the first sea day before you hit a port, there's one of the featured events, which is like a shopping show or a shopping talk. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember going to some of those. So that was what I hosted. So I was the person on stage doing that presentation. Oh, wow. So I would give these sales pitches about what stores to go to and which of the ports and how to plan your day, things about getting on and off the ship, you know, educating people on like tips and tricks around the ship. But really, it was to get them once they get off the ship into those stores that I have contracts with. And you make commission on the sales. And the cool thing is you actually make commission on the sales from your ship, regardless of whether they know you or not. So if anybody goes in that store and everybody is asked what ship they're on, if they were from your ship, you make commission. So it was glorious. Let me ask you a question. Do you feel like you got lucky to get that position as your first gig getting onto a cruise ship? Because from what I hear, you know, those type of gigs or when you do the hosting or obviously not cruise director level, but those higher up positions from what I understand are really, really hard to get. So uh, I love that you asked that question because when I met with career services, I actually got two emails. I got one email about a position that was for jewelry sales that was on board the ship. It was third-party parent company called Starboard, and they're the ones that supply all the gift shop material and the jewelry and the watches on board. And they hire sales associates, right? So if you're walking around, you want to buy something. I got turned down from that position within 24 hours because I didn't have jewelry expertise. Well, then fast forward to me getting the port shopping guide position. It was the biggest blessing as far as getting on ships because the position on board had a standard salary and then you'd make a little commission if they hit targets, but that all depended on the itinerary that you were on. So it wasn't really in your control. And then the position that I made was a management position, a department of one, you basically run your own business business on board. And the pay was equivalent to someone like the cruise director or the hotel director. And it was significantly better. At those types of levels that you're working on the ship, do you get your own room or are you still bunking with other people? And how many people are like in a room if you have to bunk with others? So I, as an associate, was given a shared room and I was just like any other crew member. I shared with the people from the spa and people from the gift shops or sometimes it was the cruise staff. It was really just because I was the only associate as a port shopping ad, like there wasn't anyone else in my position. I just got thrown in where there was an extra space. <laughs> so that was a bunk bedroom. I had one roommate and uh, it was size of a shoebox. You had a little tiny, like 18 inch wide closet. All your suitcases went under the beds. And yeah, it was pretty tight. And your contract a lot of times depended on your relationship with your with your roommate in that situation because you do spend a lot of time together. And as I'm sure you've had roommates before, not everyone lives the same, especially when you're from different cultures and countries and all that. So it was tough at times. And then as I was promoted, I was given a manager cabin, which is different on every ship, depending on how old the ship is. Funny fact, hopefully no cruise lines get mad at me for this, but I think it kind of goes without saying that the bigger the ship, the smaller the crew rooms. I did not know that. I know. I was about to say, I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah. Interesting. 
Yeah, so they basically, when they make a ship bigger, they have to shrink down the size of the crew cabins to put more venues and more guest cabins so that they save on square footage that way. Like, are your rooms, and I'm so sorry if I'm asking 20 questions, but this is fascinating to me. So like, are your rooms in the bottom steerage? Are you guys like more in the middle? Like, like where do they put you guys? So if you can imagine, like, if you're looking at the side of the ship, like an x-ray, basically like the edges of the ship. So like going from like the front tip where the bridge is, like down and then on the bottom of the ship and then back up the back of the ship. Interesting. So when you're on board as a guest, you're in the middle shell. So everything's connected and you'd never have any crew cabins in between. So since you were a port guide, when you guys were sailing, what did you do during that time? So my position was a little unique in that when I was in the ports, 90% of the time I was working. So I would do the presentations on board and I would have little events like shopping parties or, you know, VIP special sales or whatever that were out in the ports in the specific stores. So I was always working in port, which was totally fine, expected. I knew that before I got on board. And most crew members are going to have more time off in port, whereas I I had more time off on the ship. So we were pretty backwards as far as schedules go. But again, that's pretty unique to port shopping guides. There are not any other positions that work in the port outside of the ship. When they say, hey, Ashley, we want you for a six-month contract in the Caribbean. So does that mean for six months you're on the exact same route? Like, and you know, in my experience, like the cruise that I did was seven days. So like just seven days of the same thing, get back to port and then do another seven days, get back to port another seven days. You know what I mean? For six months or do you just do a region and for six months it's different each time? Okay, so there there are two answers to that, and I'll give you the sort of the general crew answer. And then because my position, again, is sort of unique, I'll give you my side of it too. But for general crew, you sign on to a ship. Now, the ships don't always stay in the same part of the world. So um, in cruising, there are seasons. So there's Caribbean season, there's Alaska season, there's Europe season, uh, Australia season, so on and so forth. So depending on the weather, the ships will do like repositionings. So there might be a ship that's in the Caribbean for the winter months, because people want to get away in the winter and go to warm places. And then in the summer months, when Alaska is nice, that ship would reposition over to Alaska, maybe go through the Panama Canal, or a ship might come from Hawaii and reposition to Alaska. So ships definitely move around. It's totally dependent on the cruise season. When Zaina asked that question, I felt like I knew the answer to that too, because I have cruised much more than Zaina, and I know the ship's don't always do the same route. So a better question would be, are you assigned to one ship and you reposition as you describe? So do you ever switch ships or is a crew assigned to one ship and obviously they sail differently based on seasons or, you know, turn around from where they port or dock? So the majority of the crew are going to stay on the same ship for their entire contract. Now, with concessionaires, which is what my position was, so the concessionaires include uh, third-party hiring companies that source staff for those positions. So to give you some examples, uh, the spa, they are a third-party company, and they hire their own staff, and they send them to the ship. There are port shopping guides, the art auctioneers, so departments that are considered concessionaires, they can be moved 
ship to ship depending on where they're needed. So if you're in a region of the world where they don't need as many shops on board staff and the ship repositions there, they might transfer you to a Caribbean ship where they need more staff. So really you're at the discretion of the company that hired you and it's not always the cruise line. Where's your favorite place that they've sent you? So with my position, again, being very different from the entire industry, we were only sent to the Caribbean and then Alaska. But the same stores that operate typically in the Caribbean also, because of the cruise ship passengers, move their stores and their stock up to Alaska for that season. So they sort of move with the ships, if you will. And then my position also limits who can work in Alaska based on your nationality. So because we work in port and Alaska is part of the U.S., you have to have a green card, a work visa, or be American. So I always got sent to Alaska every summer for the seven years that I was on ships. So I spent my winters in the Caribbean, summers in Alaska. So you said seven years on the ship because I was going to ask if you had been doing that the whole time since January of 13 up until COVID. So why don't you tell us a little bit about when was the last time you were actually on a cruise, how it was told uh, that you guys weren't sailing anymore, and how did that really affect cruising for you guys? So I actually decided to resign. Um, it was July of 2019. I decided to kind of hang up my my sailor cap and try my hat at land life or however you want to word it. And I traveled for about six months right after I resigned because I had all that cruise ship money saved up. And I thought, you know, I don't know when I'm going to get another two month vacation, which was my normal vacation time throughout the year, right between contracts. And I thought, I'm just going to go big. So I did a huge you know, series of trips for six months. And then in January, I got sort of scouted by a company that I used to represent. So one of the companies that was contracted with us to sell for, they offered me a position that was land-based, but it was sort of training and it was like a consultant position for training uh, their salespeople on board. So it was a really cool, like hybrid position between ships and land. And I was so, so excited about it. I'd gone out to California to talk to the company and start working a little bit. And then, uh, as you know, we got hit by a little uh, virus. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you've heard about it. I haven't heard about it. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so end of January, um, as I was had gone out to California to do this training, they said, hey, jump on this cruise ship. Um, I had never been on a princess cruise, but it was a princess cruise ship. And they said, we need you to go for a week and feel it out, see what you think. Um, we'll do some filming because we have a, like a TV channel and things that we work with on the ship. And uh, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll get going after that. So I flew home end of January from that cruise, started working, and then they flew me home in March in California. That was one of the first states to shut down. So flew home immediately. And they said, we're going to put you on a 90 day hiatus. And we'll give you a call in, you know, 90 days. And I thought it was insane. I thought there is no way the shit's going to last for 90 days. I can't believe this. Like I just got like, the job offer of my dreams. And, you know, here we go. Like, are you joking? And of course, as you can imagine, after six months of travel and not working, I mean, I was running pretty low on funds. Travel, you know, can be cheap, but I had not spared a penny because I thought I had a job, right? <laughs> 
toe. Right. Um, right. Bad decision in hindsight. But, you know, came home, uh, quarantined, and then realized the severity of it. And then basically just said, okay, I'm going to ride it out for as long as I need to. And then once cruise ships start again, then I will, you know, figure out what I want to do. And then we are still in <laughs> the same position. So I, uh, I recently did get another sales position that I start this week. So um, I finally decided to, you know, go a different route for now until um, we see what the cruise industry is going to do. Well, congratulations on the new position in that sense, <laughs> but in a selfish way, I'm slightly disappointed because I keep telling the squad that once COVID is over, which is starting to sound a lot like once I win the lottery, I guess, right. but I'm feeling like I really want to go on a cruise because I love cruises so much and, you know, maybe we'd have crossed paths, but it doesn't look like you're getting back on the ships as soon as we're sailing, it seems. No, I moved home and just happened to meet the love of my life as the story goes. And we made it through quarantine and we're going to be together a year uh, next weekend. So congratulations. Thank you. I was going to say it doesn't seem like that big of a deal to a lot of people. I mean, I'm almost 34 and this is my first one year anniversary. Like I'm a true like, you know, <laughs> I don't do long relationships. I don't do marriage. I'm not having kids. And uh, not only have we been together for a year now, and I'm super happy, but he has a two and a five-year-old. So life has definitely changed. I can imagine how hard it is to maintain a relationship with somebody back home when you are on a cruise for three or six months at a time. Well, I, I gave up on that after my first contract of trying to do the long distance on ships. And simply put, I mean, you want to get into the juice of <laughs> crew life people do not hold back. I mean, there are no rules when it comes to love on cruise ships. I mean, I kid you not. And by no, you know, exaggeration, people have double and triple lives. I mean, you have people that are married with kids at home who come on board. They have a girlfriend, that girlfriend signs off to go on vacation. She thinks they're still together, but then he immediately starts hooking up with someone else. And I don't say gender because it's only men. I mean, everyone, it is like a cesspool. That's what I was going to say. And when we introed it, I was saying, don't hold back. Cause I hear, like you said, you know, everybody's uh, swapping fluids with each other in some sort of way on the cruise ships. If you're part of the crew, huh? Cause I've even oh, been yeah. on the cruise ships before and thought to myself, Hmm, I wonder who the cruise director is getting with, or I look at the captain <laughs> and I'm like, is the captain it's getting with somebody or which one of these waiters is with who or concierge. So now we have confirmation that it happens. That is for sure. <laughs> I have heard that about crew members, but I'm wondering if, have you ever seen a crew member hit it off with a guest and, and something happened there? Um, yes. So uh, it is very against the rules, but it, absolutely yes. So I've had several friends fired for guest crew fraternization. And I have also seen relationships come out of guest crew fraternization. So if you are able to keep it under wraps, meaning not get caught on board, and you continue, you know, a relationship off the ship, and they come and cruise with you as a guest, like your personal guest, then of course, you can carry on. Like I said, I've, I've only met a handful of people who are able to do that. But most of the time, you're either sneaking around and hoping you don't get caught. And then if you do, you're fired. We call it a zero tolerance policy on board. Well, I have to imagine that's a big liability for the cruise ship. So I can clearly see why they frown upon it. 
Exactly. And it does happen more than they would like. But, you know, like with any time you're talking about sex, you just can't stop it from happening. You know, there's surveillance cameras on every inch of the ship, but it still happens. Have you ever seen a crew member hook up with someone who's married, who's there with their spouse on the cruise ship? I mean, I can say this confidently. I know that it's happened, but I couldn't (laughs) tell. Like, I even without knowing someone personally who's done it, and if I thought back, I probably could think of something. But off the top of my head, I don't know. But like 100% that happens. That's a dangerous game to play because somebody could get pushed off the ship if somebody finds out in a moment of passion out in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's happening, but yes. I was being a little overdramatic, but there's a possibility. (laughs) Yes. Real quickly, taking it back a little bit, how you were saying how like, you know, you got sent home because, you know, California was one of the first shutdown states. So us, the Travel Squad podcast, we are here in California. But I just want to say that you're really lucky that you weren't on one of the cruise ships that kind of got stranded in the middle of nowhere, you know, because that happened with quite a few. In fact, I think even one of the Princess cruise ships is one of the ones that wasn't allowed to dock back in California. Uh, Yes. So Princess was one of the first ships to have like the big outbreak, which is why the company that I was working for being affiliated with Princess were one of the first to shut down. So they basically said, until we figure out what this is and how serious it's going to be, like we're just furloughing everyone. And I had friends who were stuck on board for three to four months without touching their feet to land. Wow, that's insane. It is. And, you know, there were people that were stuck on uh, the ship without getting paid because these third party companies were just financially not able to pay without that cash flow of the guests being on board. They weren't able to continue to pay them, yet they couldn't also get them off the ship because they weren't allowing travel. So they were just sort of trapped on this floating vessel and they would kind of hover outside of the home ports, just trying not to use fuel. And they would go in when they needed either fuel or food and they would restock and they'd go straight back out and float. So it was a crazy scene in Miami and Fort Lauderdale where a lot of the ships are. That's crazy. I feel like there were quite a few cruise ships that docked here in San Diego because I remember hearing that on the news. Like they docked in San Diego, people got off because we're here in San Diego. They got off and they immediately went to the airport to fly them home. I don't know how I didn't realize you were in San Diego, but that was where my first ship was out of. When the Hawaii ship that I did, our home port was San Diego um, to Hawaii. So I love it there. You guys are super lucky. (laughs) So we've talked a lot about life on the ship and how COVID disrupted everything with cruises, but I'm more curious. I know you said you were working during port days quite often, but did you get to explore any of the ports during your seven years cruising? Yes and no. I was a little bit of a slacker when it came to working in port, like compared to some of the other port shopping guides. I definitely went on ships for the travel. So I would find every opportunity to sneak off. And even if it was throw my bikini in my bag and change in a bathroom somewhere and go to the beach for an hour, or if I was in Alaska, like I would find the super early tours when we docked that were before the shops were open so that I could like go explore and then come back for work or, you know, in the middle of the day. I mean, we were in Alaska for sometimes 12 to 14 hours and it was daylight the whole time. So I would find like little bits of time during the day to go on like a seaplane ride or go on a helicopter and, you know, go to a glacier and dog sled or whatever. 
But then just, you know, it wasn't like essential for me to be in the stores. And, you know, people were most of the time on tour all through the morning and didn't even get back to the port until the afternoon. So I just took advantage of it. And had the company I was working for found out about any of that, I would have been fired instantly. But I I kept it under wraps, never posted about it, just enjoyed it and kept my pictures in my phone. And, you know, I've been posting them recently since I... (laughs) Since I can now. (laughs) It's a smart way to do it. (laughs) Right? So where is your favorite port that you've been to? So my favorite port in the Caribbean is probably... Oh, man, I I should have had this prepared, but I really love Cozumel. So many ships go to Cozumel and, you know, they're like, oh, it's so touristy and people just harass you and this, that and the other. But the secret about Cozumel is that you have to go to the opposite side of the island. So if you're ever on a cruise and you go to Cozumel, there's a place on the opposite side of the island, which takes about... I want to say it's about 30, 45 minutes to get to, and it's called El Cielo, which translates to heaven. And it is literally bliss. I mean, the water comes max up to maybe like your chest, but it's a giant miles and miles sandbar with the most crystal clear water that you've ever seen. And these little tour boats just drive you out to the middle of a, like, and it seems like an abandoned sandbar in the middle of the ocean. And you just drink and you hang out on the boat and you tan and it is just magical. And the snorkeling is phenomenal. I mean, I love Mexican food, so I love the food there. And I want to throw this in there too, because I feel like there's still this really terrible myth about food in Mexico and water being clean in Mexico. Unless you go to a really rural, like deep part of Mexico that's not really touristy, you do not have to worry about clean water, like especially in Cozumel. It's so touristic now that there is clean water no matter where you go. So don't let that deter you from drinking the drinks or you know eating the food because you're going to miss out big time. Thank you for saying that. I hear that all the time about food and washing the vegetables and being really cautious about those kinds of things or even brushing your teeth. And thanks for also the squad tip about going to the other side of the island because I have heard as well that Cozumel is very touristy and maybe going to like Tulum or or somewhere else in that area is a better option. But I love that hack. I can't wait to go back to that area and check it out. You made it sound beautiful. Yeah. And and just another, because you reminded me of Tulum. So Chichen Itza is another really popular tour when you go to Cozumel. And highly recommend it if you have a really long day there. But it's like an eight hour tour. So if you go to Chichen Itza, it it might be the only thing that you can do for the day. And it's a trek to get there. I mean, I want to say it's like a three hour trip there and three hour trip back and you have to do a ferry and then a bus and then same thing on the way back. But it's one of the world wonders like go ahead, do it and get it out of the way. And then if you don't have a long day or you don't want to spend an eight hour tour, Tulum is a really good option too, just because you do get to see some of the ruins. It's really beautiful. And if you do it right, there's some like really good combo like Tulum and like C-Note. Um, I don't even know if I'm saying that right. C-E-N-O-T-E. Cenote, there it is. Um, so cenotes that you can go and visit all in kind of a package. So it's a good little like combo. And then if you're like me and you just want to go there and chill, definitely go over to El Cielo. The tour companies will usually arrange like taking you by a local restaurant or something like that. And they always provide alcohol like on the on the boat. So uh, nice. it's, it makes for a really good day. 
So I want to back up on a couple things. And your last statement made me think of another thing. One is that I think the point that you made of certain places, especially a lot of cruise places being touristy is very true. And you know this because when you get off, they have everything set up for people to do shopping, which was your area of expertise on the cruise, right? But mm-hmm. you always have to find those off-beaten paths. So I think that's a good tip. But you mentioned doing some of the other tours and getting people to take you there as a cruise expert. And I want to know the answer to this myself as someone who loves to cruise. Do you think it's wise to book through the cruise ships for the tour? Or do you think somebody can do the research themselves and book a vendor direct on land to do those tours? Okay, so I really wish this was an easy answer, but it's just not because it is really completely dependent on the port that you visit. So for example, in Cozumel, you are usually better off doing the ship book tours. Here's why. There is oftentimes a time change for the ships to go to Cozumel. So you might be an hour forward or an hour back. I can't remember how it works. And if you're not on ship time and the the local tours do not know what ship time is because every ship is different. So you could be late to your tour and lose that money. You can be late to the ship and then you're really screwed. So for something where you have a time change involved, always book through the ship because they guarantee you to be back on time. When you do the stuff, like when you're going out to El Cielo, are you booking through the cruise or like, are you even allowed to book through the cruise as an employee? So I had gotten the information about El Cielo through one of the retailers that I worked with that lived in Cozumel. He had kind of hooked me up with this company, which was a friend of a friend. And they, you know, took me out for the day. They picked me up from the port and took me out and brought me back. So that was definitely like more locally arranged because I knew someone. But the most important thing in a place like Cozumel or any place that you don't know the currency, you don't know the language, always make sure that you settle on a price before you go on the trip. So don't say, hey, can you take us to El Cielo? And they say, yeah, hop in, because that is just a terrible recipe for disaster. They can try to charge you whatever they want. They can take you, you know, the long way if they're doing it by mileage, like whatever it may be, you always want to settle on a price if you're going through like a taxi company or an outside tour company, right? And then the other part of that is El Cielo, for example, is not a kind of place that is touristic. So it's not going to have a lot of taxis that are waiting there to take you back. So you would never want to just drive there and hope that you can like find a ride back. Um, that's, that's just a really bad idea too. And I think that goes with any tour. So you always, if you're booking outside of the ship, you really have to be careful and I think unless you know someone there or you have a really reputable and like back tour company that you found online that has a lot of reviews and and you can pretty much tell from reviews and websites like how reputable the company is, right? But use your really best judgment. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. That's great advice. I have been in the bad end of a situation like that and I knew that advice and I wish I had taken it. So that's great. Great reminder. Hey travelers, let's take a quick detour to talk about our travel itineraries that we've created just for you. We now have six different trip itineraries. One week in Kauai, an American Southwest weekender road trip, a week in Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Parks, a road trip adventure featuring all three of Washington State's national parks, Big Island Hawaii, 
and an Arizona road trip that features all three of Arizona's national parks. We are obsessed with these. These itineraries are 20 to 30 pages PDF guides with every detail of the trip laid out. We're talking about where to fly into, the exact route to take, where to stay, park entrance fees, where to eat, driving distance between attractions, what things to see and do, the hikes we recommend, the mileage of the hikes, and even the recommended time to a lot for each one, plus so much more. We have story highlights on our Instagram at Travel Squad Podcast where you can see the full guides. We have done all of our research and actually taken these exact trips. And we have taken all of the guesswork out of the planning. So all you have to do is show up and have fun. Purchase your comprehensive Travel Squad Podcast itinerary on our website at travelsquadpodcast.com. Best of all, they're on sale right now for $25. That's 50% off the regular price. So travel on over now to get yours today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. I want to, if you don't mind, just go back quickly because I did mention my favorite port in the Caribbean, but I think it does matter to say that my favorite port in Alaska, because I spent like half my time there, is Gagway, which have any of you cruised to Alaska? Oh, yes. Brittany and I have cruised to Alaska and we have been to Skagway. Isn't it magical? It really was magical. And Jamal and I, we did the bike ride down the Klondike Highway there. And that was fantastic. Yeah, it's such a great little port. And I I used to describe during my shopping shows Skagway as like this trip back in time to the Old West. I mean, it's the true like gold rush town. You've got the boardwalk, plank sidewalks, and they have the front of the buildings like protected. So they have to look like old, timey Western signage. And you can just take a walk. Only 800 people live in this town, by the way, year round. They pretty much just come in for the Alaska tourist season and then they leave. So in the off season, I mean, we're talking tiny Alaska town that you'd think of when you think Alaska, right? One or two local bars and snow and that's about it. But in the summertime, it's just surrounded by mountains. It's this little town that sits in the middle of nothing. And there are tours out the wazoo. You can, you know, helicopter or you can take a walk to a waterfall. There's lakes and nature all around. There's a fantastic train tour that goes through there that you just can't miss if you go there too. And I just, I can't rave about Skagway enough. I had so many fun adventures there. Well, fun fact, Jamal and Brittany, when they did their Alaska cruise, what port did you guys stop at? Because then they went to go do a helicopter ride and Jamal proposed to Brittany on the top of an Alaskan glacier. No way. 
Well, that was in Juneau, and we took a helicopter and glacier hike, the Mindenhall Glacier, and that's where I proposed to Brittany. And then the next day was Skagway. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh man, any any guys out there listening, you gotta top that. Good luck. It was a good one, if I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. That's a dream. Well, I mean, she wasn't going to say no, right? Like, (laughs) How can you say no to that? Exactly. (laughs) That's great. Um, So yeah, I just wanted to to throw that in there because I do think that Alaska and all the ports are amazing and they're all so unique. Like I think that that was another stereotype about Alaska before I went is that every town was the same and they're all so different and really all have their own unique things to do. So if you take a cruise to Alaska, do different things in each of the ports and do the tours. I mean, anybody that gets off the ship in Alaska and does not have a tour booked is crazy in my opinion, because the tours in Alaska are second to none. So a place like Skagway, does it have snow even during the summer or not? Because I know that you guys mentioned a boardwalk and I just can't even imagine Alaska without snow, which I know might sound ignorant. Well, uh, no, it doesn't. So the sort of like boardwalk sidewalks are like these like old wooden sidewalks. So I didn't mean like on the water. So the mountains surrounding you, you can see that there's snow on the mountaintops but there's no snow on the ground. Like I spent three Fourth of Julys in Skagway. Strangely enough, it just so happened that the ship I was on fell in Skagway on the Fourth of July. And we're talking like a, you know, 80 degree day. Yeah, Zena, when Jamal and I were in Skagway, it was actually warmer in Alaska than it was in San Diego at the time. That's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It's very not true to its stereotype when you cruise there. I mean, pretty much everything you've ever thought about Alaska is like myth busted. Yeah. So Ashley, one of the questions that we always try to answer for our listeners is about bathrooms. And I have a question about the bathrooms on board. Mm -hmm. They all seem to have a very distinct smell. Have you noticed that on all the cruise ships you've worked on? Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. Can you tell us what that smell is? Yes, I can. (laughs) I don't know what you guys are talking about. I do. Because you haven't cruised enough, Zaina, so clearly you don't know what we're talking about. Okay. Okay, so it's sort of this, like, chemically shit smell, right? Right. And all the bathrooms on ships are, are powered by vacuum. So there's this huge, like, you know, sewer system where it just sucks all the shit down into the bottom of the ship, the engine room, where they burn it and purify it and put it out to sea. And that sounds really like bad for the environment, but they purify this shit literally cleaner than like drinking water. It's insane. Um, I was lucky enough to be friends with some engineers on my last few contracts who gave me engine room tours and they show you like the sanitation system. And I mean, it is a wild process. So they do purify all that and, and inject it. But going back to your bathroom question, we have very, very strict, and this was pre-COVID, very strict sanitizing procedures. So the bathrooms have pretty much like attendants that monitor them 24-7. And they're going in there, you know, every 10, 15 minutes and wiping everything down. And we have this chemical called Oxyvir on board that is only good for like three days. And you have we have this whole process of like getting rid of the old chemicals and refilling it and labeling it. And it's like a really, really punishable offense if you don't refill your Oxyvir and label the bottles right and all these things. Because as you know, 
chips become like a cesspool for gastrointestinal, you know, the stomach. Norovirus. Exactly. Uh huh. Who knew coronavirus would be the one that killed the cruise ships and not the noro? <laughs> right? Oh, my gosh. So we call it GI on board, and there are a lot of GI jokes for the crew. But, you know, I won't get into that. But, yes, it is a very serious thing because the marine labor laws, they have a lot of strict guidelines about certain amount of cases that you can have on board before you go into higher security levels. So something like 1% of the ship, which isn't that many people, we're talking 10, 20 people get the norovirus and we go into a higher sanitizing procedure. And if you get a certain percentage, then you go into level three, which means that none of the crew can go in guest areas. The crew have to serve in the buffets, constant sanitation by everybody on board. Sometimes it goes to the point where the crew can't get off. So we take it really seriously, like sanitizing, because it affects us big time. Well, thank you for that, answering that question. Um, <laughs> I, I was always know if you curious. wanted it to be that thorough, but yeah, we we go through so much training on board that anybody that's ever worried about going on a ship for safety or even for sanitation, there's no reason to fear. I mean, they are doing overtime, making sure that it's safe for you, and that if there is an emergency, that the crew knows what to do. We have weekly training drills for all different situations, for suspicious persons, suspicious objects, for oil spills for first aid for so many different positions even firefighting we have drills for so you're you're very safe when you're on board I actually that's it brings up a memory I have from my first cruise experience where one of my friends was not behaving you know he had that drink card and he definitely maxed it out that day (laughs) he got into some trouble and the cruise people must have done drills on this type of situation because they ended up swooping him up and putting him in like a cruise jail. It was his own room, but they stood outside of his room in like a timeout for an hour of cruise jail. He didn't go into the real brig. They just combined him to his room and put security guards out in front of it, right? Yes. He had a balcony room too, and they drilled the door shut. So he couldn't go on the balcony. Oh my God. It takes a lot to get that, but usually it's only for like a one day as like a warning, but like, it's pretty extreme to get to that point. That's so funny. You guys actually have a cruise jail. I mean, like, obviously that was extreme for him, but like, is there a place where they would actually take people for a cruise jail or even like if someone were to pass away, you know? Yes. So... That was really morbid. I'm sorry. Uh, No, I have a terribly morbid crew joke for you. I did not think it would get to this, but I'm going to tell it to you anyways. So it's very rare that crew get treated with like, you know how if you go to a buffet on a ship that there's like all the ice cream, like, you know, you can just get free, like not the, not the like soft serve ice cream, but like the scooped ice cream. Right. And it's Mm -hmm. free. Okay, so we have a joke with the crew that if it's ice cream day in the mess, so let's say you get like, you know, tubs of Ben and Jerry's in the mess where that's where the crew eat, that too many people have died on board and they need to make room in the freezers. See, Zayna mentioned that about the storage of the bodies. And I think all cruise ships are built with morgues because I think statistically, like at least one person, I think, dies pretty much every cruise. 
Yes, that is accurate. And the longer the cruise, the more dead bodies. So there is a little bit of truth to it. I don't think they're actually sticking them in a freezer with food. That's obviously a morbid <laughs> joke. But uh, nonetheless, yes, people do die on board and there are morgues to handle those types of situations. But most of the time they do offload the bodies in the nearest port and they get those sent home to the family. So on the other note, you'd asked about what was the other question you asked? Um Oh, the jail. Oh, if they actually have like jails. Yeah. Okay. So I actually dated for a while. It was tragic, but I dated a chief security officer from Israel. And, you know, being the chief security officer, his office was actually where the jail was. So it's not what you're picturing. It doesn't have bars. It looks like a tiny little walk-in closet size space. Same walls as the crew cabins or the guest cabins, the, you know, metal walls. And it's got a toilet, a little mattress on the floor and a sink. And that is where, you know, if it comes to an extreme case, you will have to spend your cruise. Now, I have never known anybody to go in the cruise jail. And if they do, it's usually for something that is, it's a crime. Uh, For example, domestic abuse, um, which unfortunately does happen. Things like, I mean, we've had murders on board. Um, I I know that seems insane, but uh, I was on a ship one time when there was a domestic abuse that led to a death and things like that extreme situations, they will use the jail, but it doesn't happen much. Wow. That's really intense. That's so Mm -hmm. sad. That's so sad. It is. It is. Um, I would say I actually talked about this on one of my podcast episodes, but very quickly, I don't know the, the morbid stuff. It's, it's not that it's hard to talk about. I just don't know that people really want to hear, but I'll just let you know quickly. Um, I was on board for several man overboards and the, the most intense and the most kind of chilling was a domestic issue that happened in one of the cabins. And when the person jumped overboard, they actually caught on to the lifeboat on deck five on the outer deck. And then they, they kind of grasped onto it, but their legs were dangling. And for about 10 minutes or so, while the ship is slowing down, because obviously it's been reported, security's trying to pull them back on and they're resisting. And then um, you actually have video of this online where they, they fall into the water and the body was discovered a few days later after, you know, us searching. Stuff like that, unfortunately, does happen. It is, like I said, chilling, uh, not something I would want anybody to ever have to go through because it definitely gets a really bad energy on board when you find out something like that happens. But nobody ever goes over the ship that doesn't want to go overboard. So it's not dangerous to cruise. You're not going to fall over the rail. You know, they're very protected. But, you know, unfortunately, that does happen. So I know you're not working on cruise ships anymore. And Corona has stinted a little bit of travel and you have a little more of reason to stay home now. But I'm wondering, do you have any any travel planned? Or do you feel like you got it out of your system on those seven years? I'm sure not. Oh, God, no, <laughs> it's impossible. Once you've been bitten by the travel bug, it's it's hard to get unbitten. So I was fortunate enough to travel to 59 countries in my seven years on ships. And like I mentioned before, I was only working in the Caribbean and Alaska. So a lot of the countries that I visited were on my vacations, because I would usually get one and a half to two months off in between the Caribbean and then in between Alaska. So on both sides of that, and spent a lot of my time visiting the places that the ship didn't go or didn't take me. So I absolutely have plans to travel again. Um, I haven't financially been able to plan a whole lot recently. However, with this new job, it's remote, which was my number one requirement because I am ready to start traveling again. 
my boyfriend only has custody of the kids every other week. So on our weeks off, we have planned to go remote and, and travel every other week. So that's the plan. I would say we'll probably start planning and in the next six months get going again. So that's hopefully, you know, where life goes, but we'll just have to wait and see. That is so exciting that you found another job that will let you travel and work at the same time. That's awesome. I mean, it's not always easy to find, but I think once you have that travel bug and that kind of passion, it's hard to keep you from it. So I just searched and searched and searched and really put in the time to get in touch with the right people and get the right connections to to be able to find something. So like I said, I start Wednesday and hopefully it's as great of a dream as I'm expecting it to be. Well, I absolutely love your energy, Ashley. Like truly, truly, you have such a, like just a wonderful energy about you. And so uh, when you first had us on our podcast and I made the comment that you're a great uh, interviewer, you had mentioned that you had so much sales experience. And I just feel like in this new position, you're just going to do so wonderful and you're going to shine because like you are a salesperson and you know how to talk to people. And I feel like I can continue interviewing you because there's so many things I could ask (laughs) and at the same time don't want to keep you for too, too long. Um, so I would love to know, like, just how can people find you? Where can they check you out? All of that good stuff. Well, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. I've really enjoyed this. Reminiscing is about the only thing that gets me through to the day. I find myself down a rabbit hole of looking at old travel pictures almost every day. Um, so this has been really, really fun for me. And um, if you would ever, you know, find another free spot for me to come back and talk more, I would be happy to do that. Or just one-on-one if you want to talk more about it. Absolutely. There's so much I still wanted to ask about the travels and trips that you took while you were on break. But And I'm pretty bad about getting the car. Part two with Ashley. Yeah. And the other thing too is, you know, we're in San Diego. So if you ever do, you know, get back on a cruise ship, if you ever are sent to San Diego, hit us up. Well, either way, I know I'll be out in California at some point. So I would love to to catch up and meet up and definitely have a beer or whatever. That would be awesome. Uh, but for now, yeah. But uh, for now, if, you, if you'd like to follow along with the podcast or contact me through social media, everything is Ashley P. Travels. That's on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Podcast is called Ashley P. Travels. So if you would like to check it out, I'd love to have you. I talk about crazy travel stories. I interview guests about how they made their way onto ships or how they made their way into a travel lifestyle. And then we talk about some of their kind of trials through travel. Sometimes it's funny stories. Sometimes it's life lessons, but it's really just interesting people that I've met along the way who have a great story to tell. So I think that, you know, anybody could benefit from it because you really do get a lot of new perspectives. And I think it's very inspiring how a lot of people end up in the same place, but from so many different paths. Yeah, absolutely. I can agree. You have a great mix of hilarious stories. I loved your Girl Talk episode. Everyone needs to go to Ashley P. Travels and check it out. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I think that's all the questions we have. Thank you so, so much for coming on our podcast. We will have you on for part two to talk more about travel and and yeah. Well, I really appreciate it again. Thanks so much for having me. And I look forward to our, our catch up in San Diego next time. Yeah. Looking forward to it, Ashley. Thank you guys so much. Cool. Thanks, Ashley. Bye. Bye. 
All right, everyone, that's all we have for you this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please keep the adventures going with us by following us on Instagram and YouTube at Travel Squad Podcast. We now have the Travel Squad Podcast hashtag. If you tag your photos with that, we will share them on our profile. And please send us in those questions of the week. And if you found the information in this episode to be useful, or if you thought we were just plain funny, please make sure to share it with a friend that would enjoy it too. And as always, guys, please subscribe, rate and review our podcast, and tune in every Travel Tuesday for new episodes. Stay tuned for next week's episode. We have some more amazing adventures and tips in store for you. Woo! Bye, everybody.